Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis 33. The Bible is full, full of truth, full of Christ. Remember, when you read the Bible, read the Bible with eyes that are looking for Christ. So we're in Genesis 33. We're in the middle of um, the life of Jacob. And uh, I'm going to read this. It's a short chapter. It's 20 verses. I'm going to read the entire chapter. So follow with me as we read Genesis 33. It says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, Then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God, and you are pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and herds which are nursing, which are, nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant, and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. 
And when he came from Paddan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. Father, I pray that you would, as we look at your word, as we look at the gospel, that you would open our hearts and open our minds, open our eyes and open our ears to see, to hear, to receive, and to comprehend with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and strength, this message of good news that you give to us in your word. Lord, even as you did Jacob, we ask that you would change us and transform us into men and women, into your people, your children that are pleasing to you for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read a scripture to you from the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to read to you verse 1, and then I want to read to you verse 11. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then in verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Have you ever noticed that? No one can find out the work God does from beginning to end. Have you ever been at a place in your life and you know God is doing something, but you just don't know what He's doing? You know God is up to something, but you are not sure exactly what He's up to. But here is something that we can be sure about. That there is a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. And that God will make all things beautiful in his time. Even though we don't know the beginning from the end. We don't know all that God is doing. We just know that God is doing in all things. So as we survey this chapter of Genesis, we're going to see... God's dealing with Jacob, and in God's dealing with Jacob, that in all things, God has a timing, God has a preparation, God has a place, and God has a purpose. So I want to just go through this chapter and look at some uh, specific things in in these verses that I want to draw your attention to. So we come from chapter 32, where Jacob wrestles with God. And remember, Jacob is on this journey back home. He's been 20 years with his uncle, or with uh, the, his uncle Laban. It's his mother's brother. And remember, he fled to his uncle Laban's house because he had received the blessing from his father Isaac, but he received the blessing of the firstborn that rightfully belonged to Esau, but God, before those children were born, before they were born, God said he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. And God purposed to give the blessing to Jacob even before the birth of these children. So really, Jacob received what God had purposed to give him. 
But remember, when Jacob received that, Isaac did not realize that it was Jacob. He thought that it was Esau he was blessing. And as soon as he finishes blessing Jacob, Jacob exits the house. Esau comes in. He said, I'm ready for my blessing, father. He said, who are you? He said, I'm your son, Esau, who you will bless. And he said, well, I've already blessed you. And Esau realizes that Jacob received the blessing. Now, we looked at that. It was a beautiful picture of how we come to Christ and the identity of another, clothed with the clothing of another, uh, with the fragrance of another, that we don't come in our own identity. We come to Christ in the identity, or we come to the Father in the identity of another. We come to the Father in the identity of Christ. We're clothed with his righteousness. We have the fragrance of his holiness. We come to the Father in Christ, and we receive a blessing that is not rightfully ours. This is what Jacob received. But Esau was angry. And so in, in, uh, in that chapter, Esau says, it says that his anger burned hot. And he said, after the days of, my, of the mourning, my father. In other words, after my father is dead, and my time of mourning is over, he said, I will kill my brother. And it was reported back to Rebekah. And Rebekah tells Jacob, Jacob, you've got to leave until your brother's wrath has subsided. Flee to my brother Laban's house. And so Jacob leaves and he goes. And what he thought was going to be a short-term visit turned into 20 years of servitude under his uncle Laban. And then one day God says, it's time, Jacob, go back home. And so Jacob now is coming back home. And Jacob has come to the river Jabbok. It's a tributary that runs into the Jordan River. And he comes to the, to the Jabbok. And he's getting ready to cross over and he makes his camp and he knows that he's going to encounter Esau. So he sends out people to find out where Esau is, to let Esau know that he's coming home. And he begins to send these waves of presents for Esau, hoping that his, basically, maybe if I bribe my brother, he won't kill me. Maybe all of these gifts will Will, will cause my brother to have a change of heart. And so Jacob does this. And he sends all that ahead, and it says he divides the women and the children, and he tells them, you go over here, and it says he remains alone, and this is when he wrestles with God. And so now this is, chapter 33 begins with the breaking of a, a new day. The dawn has broken. Chapter 32 ends with Jacob limping on his hip, and he's crossing over. And now in chapter 33, it says, Jacob lifts up his eyes. So this crossing over signifies much more than a geographic landmark in Jacob's journey home. Jacob was not allowed to cross over until he had been dealt with by God. I hope you see that. That God made sure that he dealt with Jacob before Jacob crossed over. And so Jacob didn't cross over in his time. He crossed over in God's time. 
God had a time, God had a preparation, God had a place, and God had a purpose in all these things. And Jacob would cross over on God's terms and not his own. And so this is a lesson. This is something that we need to see because the way God dealt, dealt with Jacob and the way God deals with his children that's recorded for us in Scripture is not different than the way God deals with us. It doesn't mean we're going to camp on one side of a river and have to cross over. On, it doesn't mean that God's going to deal with us in the exact same way, in the exact same place, in the, under the exact same circumstances. But it absolutely means that God has a time, God has a preparation, God has a place, and God has a purpose in everything concerning our lives. So let's look. It says, now Jacob lifted his eyes. Now we read this in context. There's no verse markers. There's no chapter markers. So the sun rises. Jacob is limping. He's crossing over. And as he crosses over, he lifts up his eyes. And what does he see? He lifts up his eyes and he sees Esau coming. Now Jacob had just wrestled with God. He's limping on his hip. He crosses over Peniel the place that he named face of God. Why? Because he had seen God face to face and his life was preserved. So Jacob lifts his eyes as the sun rises and he sees the thing that he was most fearful of. Remember, he is terrified of meeting Esau because his last encounter with Esau, Esau swore that he would kill Jacob. And so the thing that he feared most is the very thing he sees first that morning as he has just had this encounter with God. He sees his brother coming with an army of 400 men. But remember, this is not the same Jacob that, that left 20 years earlier. It's not even the same Jacob that has just left Laban's house. It's not even the same Jacob that camped the night before alone. This is now a different man. This man has wrestled with God. He's, he's seen the dawning of a new day and he names the place that he is coming from, that he's crossing over from face of God because he saw God. He met God face to face and his life was preserved. So here comes his brother with this army of men, but this is not the same Jacob. This is a man who just encountered God and his life was preserved and he lifted his eyes, but he did not lift his eyes in fear. No longer in fear, he now lifted his eyes in faith. And then it says in verse three that Jacob crossed over. Jacob crossed over before his wives and his children. Jacob led them across. Remember the night before, he sends everybody on and he stays behind alone. Now, in this new day, here is this man who's had this encounter with God and he is, for all practical purposes, a new man. He leads his wives and his children over. He leads them over. They cross over the Jabbok. And he is now between the river Jabbok and the east bank of the Jordan. This word Jabbok means, to, means pouring out. And it comes from a root word that means to pour out or to empty out. Now I want you to think about this. Where did God, 
in God's timing, where did God choose to give Jacob? Remember, this Jacob didn't wrestle with God and, and beat God. God in his grace came to Jacob, allowed Jacob to wrestle with him, allowed Jacob to endure, and allowed Jacob to receive the blessing. This is the grace of God. This, is, this isn't a man who's stronger than God. Now, this is a man who was graced by God. And where did God choose to give Jacob this encounter? At this place before he would cross over. So that when Jacob crossed over this pouring, this river that means pouring out, that means to pour out, to empty out, Jacob would, cro- would cross over a poured out and emptied out man. God had taken everything that Jacob was and he poured it out, he emptied it out, and Jacob crossed over a new man with a new name. So Jacob was poured out, he was emptied out so that God could fill him and so transform him into a new man. No longer Jacob. Remember, God said, you will no longer be called Jacob, but you are Israel. No longer Jacob, but now Israel, prince with God. So Jacob crosses over, he leads his family over, and he comes to Esau, and it says that at he crossed over before them and bowed himself. That word bowed means he prostrated himself. I mean, he, he, he bowed himself to the ground seven times as he approaches Esau. He prostrated himself in worship to God. This was not an act of idolatry, but an act of extreme humility first before God, but also before Esau. He was humbling himself before Esau, but he was, even more than that, humbling himself before God. And Jacob put himself in a position of complete vulnerability to convey his true humility. I want you to think about this. Jacob bows. He prostrates himself seven times it's seven times he gives Esau the opportunity to absolutely take his life. He puts himself in a position of total and complete vulnerability before this man who swore to kill Jacob. That's not fear, that's faith. That's not the Jacob we saw the day before who feared greatly for his life and and just about lost it when he found out Esau was coming with an army of 400 men. At that point, there was no doubt in Jacob's mind that Esau was coming to kill him. But now we see a Jacob, a new man, a different man, who comes not in fear, but in faith, who comes not arrogantly. He's just been called by God, Prince. Think about that. Jacob was told by God face to face, you will no longer be called Jacob, but you are now prince with God. And Jacob knew exactly what had happened. He said, I have encountered God face to face and my life was preserved. Jacob at that point knew who he was, but he did not come to Esau in arrogance. I am now a prince with God. No, he came to Esau in total and complete humility. 
because he knew that he was who he was only by the grace of God. And as he bowed before Esau, he was bowing before his God who had changed him and transformed him from fear to faith. And so in this demonstration of humility by Jacob, what does Esau do? Look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. In a a demonstration of genuine affection, Esau runs to meet Jacob and embraces him, falling on his neck. I want you to notice the detail here. It doesn't just say he embraced him. I want you to notice the detail that God puts in the scripture to convey to us what's happening here. God is conveying to us the reconciliation that's taking place between these two brothers. It doesn't tell us he just embraces him. It says he embraces him, falling on his neck and kissing him, and they wept. These gestures are symbolic to convey that Esau had forgiven Jacob for acquiring the blessing. What did Jacob do? Jacob goes into his father. He puts goat skins on his hands and forearms and on his neck. And his father embraces his neck to feel, is this my son Esau? Yeah, you're hairy like Esau. He draws him near and embraces him to see if he smells like his son Esau. Yes, you smell like the field. This must be my son Esau. And he kisses him. And he receives the blessing. Jacob receives it. What does Esau do? The Bible records for us. It's very, it's very similar to me the, of what the scripture records with Peter and Jesus. Peter denies Jesus three times. And then in John 21, the scripture shows us that Jesus ensures that Peter affirms his love for Jesus three times. The exact counter of Peter's denial. And we see here Esau comes and he embraces Jacob and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. Gesture symbolic conveying that there was reconciliation. The embrace, the neck, the kiss are all reminiscent of Jacob's encounter with Isaac when he was given the blessing of the firstborn. And now Esau is embracing him in the same way, conveying to Jacob that there is peace, there is reconciliation. And what does Jacob do? Esau asks, who are these? Because remember, the last time Esau saw Jacob, they were both young men. Jacob was not married. He flees for his life, and now 20 years later, he comes with this entourage, this huge entourage of people and animals. And Esau asks, who are these? And look at the reply of Jacob. These are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And this is how the Bible speaks of children. They are always referred to as blessings from a gracious God. This is why abortion is such an abomination, is so horrendous, because what God intends as our blessing, we've turned into a curse that we have to somehow get rid of. And so 
Jacob says, these are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Do you see the humility there? Jacob refers to himself as your servant. He's just been called a prince by God, but yet he refers to himself to his brother Esau as your servant. A display of graceful humility. So Jacob demonstrates humility. Jacob, remember, is now Israel, prince with God, but this prince offers gifts to Esau as a gesture of peace and genuine humility. It is also, I believe, an act of worship on Jacob's part, acknowledging the grace of God that brought his blessing and his new identity. Jacob was aware that he was not the firstborn. Jacob was aware, go back and read the account, that that blessing was not rightfully his. Jacob is now offering these things, not just to appease Esau, but these are gifts These are sacrifices, not only to Esau, but to God. These are acknowledgments that that I have received a blessing that I never deserved. So Jacob says, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Again, Jacob refers to Esau with the utmost respect, calling him my Lord. Here is the prince with God calling his brother and former enemy, my Lord. Jacob is humbled before God. Therefore, he has no problem being humble before Esau. Here's how you can know if someone is truly humble or not. If we have come to a place of true humility before God, we will have no problem demonstrating humility before others. Jacob in no way felt compelled to prove anything to Esau. He didn't say, hey, Boy, yesterday I was really afraid of you and really worried, but you know, I had this encounter with God last night and we wrestled all night and guess what? God called me a prince this morning. I just want to let you know that, my Lord. He didn't do that, did he? (laughs) He didn't tell Jacob anything. I mean, he didn't tell Esau anything. He didn't boast. He didn't justify. He didn't defend. He didn't do anything. He just came in total and complete humility, but total and complete faith in God. And he demonstrated this humility because he had come to a place of being truly humbled before God. He was no longer Jacob, but he was truly Israel. And he knows who he is by the grace of God. And so his humility is no longer from a place of fear, but from a place of faith and secure authority with God. Why did Jesus not open his mouth and defend himself when he was unjustly accused, unjustly scourged, and unjustly crucified? Because Jesus knew exactly who he was. And Jesus did not need to defend himself or beg for men's mercy because Jesus knew this is what he came to do. This is who he was. He knew it. His father knew it. There were many others who knew it. Those that did not know it, those who chose to reject it, those who chose to turn their eyes from that and their minds from that, so be it. Jesus, in total humility before the Father, goes like a lamb to the slaughter and opens not his mouth. Jacob comes before Esau and in total humility 
shows the utmost respect to his brother and feels absolutely no compulsion to let his brother know who he now is, that he is a changed man. You know why he didn't have to tell him? Because his actions revealed that. Our life should reveal certain things. Our life should communicate certain things that words cannot. And words that we use then should support and affirm and reinforce what our lives are communicating. So Jacob finds favor. Verses 8 through 10, the response of Esau is very telling. Look what Esau says. I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. I believe this is a veiled reference to the blessing that was given to Jacob by Isaac. And Esau is indicating that Jacob has the blessing and Jacob is to keep it. It's okay. It's all right. We can't change the past. Keep what you have that is yours. Esau understood what he was saying. But for Jacob, it was important that Esau receive his present from his hand. Because if Esau does not receive the present from Jacob, it indicates that there's still something between them. And if Esau does not receive the present from Jacob, it means that Jacob has found, if Esau does receive the present from Jacob, it means that Jacob has found favor in the eyes of Esau and that they are truly reconciled. So in other words, a rejection by Esau of this blessing of this gift would mean that there is still something there. But Esau's reception of Jacob's blessing of his gift indicated that there was true reconciliation and that they were truly friends. So for Jacob, the transformation of his character would be incomplete if he did not also experience reconciliation in the human dimension. In other words, for Jacob to know that he has truly found favor and peace with God, he had to know that he has found favor with Esau. Now, don't misunderstand this. This isn't Jacob trying to people please. This is, this is Jacob trying to just appease his brother or please his brother. Jacob understood the grace of God and the peace with God he had come to experience. And that favor and peace of God had to extend into all of Jacob's life. Jacob truly desired peace with Esau. He wanted reconciliation with his brother. And God graciously granted that peace, that reconciliation, by changing both of these brothers. He didn't just change Jacob. He changed Esau. He took that wrath, that desire to murder from Esau's heart. So that when Esau and Jacob met, what was in Esau's heart was demonstrated. He fell on his brother in, in a genuine embrace of love and affection. And he says, what you have is yours. You keep it. He was saying, it's okay, brother. I know you received the blessing. It's all right. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So Jacob gives his blessing. Now look at this in verse 11. This is amazing. Jacob says, take my gift. And Esau in politeness is saying, no, 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 I've got enough, brother. Then Jacob doesn't just say, take my gift. In verse 11, he says, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Jacob is giving his blessing. 
So Jacob's not just giving Esau a present. Jacob is giving Esau his blessing. Please take my blessing that is brought to you. Jacob urged Esau and Esau took the blessing. There's no way to escape what this is referring to. This obviously alludes to the blessing Jacob received from his father. The blessing of the firstborn, the birthright. But his blessing, this blessing didn't just come from Isaac. This blessing came from God. So we need to be clear on this. This blessing came from God and Jacob can't return the blessing God has blessed him with. Remember Balaam, when you read in the Old Testament and the, the, the Amorite king wants Balaam to curse Israel and Balaam tries to curse Israel and all that will come out of his mouth is a blessing and Balaam finally says, you can't curse what God blesses and you can't bless what God curses. But here is a gesture. What Jacob is doing is more symbolic. Jacob desires to bless Esau, so he does. And he blesses Esau with a tangible blessing that communicates Jacob's heart toward his brother. Esau takes the blessing and in so doing affirms the reconciliation between these two brothers. So Jacob and and, and Esau part ways. Esau offers to go before Jacob. He offers to leave people with Jacob. Jacob Humbly refuses. He says, no, brother. Flock is weak. The children are weak. We're going to go slowly. There's no reason for you to leave anyone to, to, to watch over us. Because Jacob understood that it would be God's grace that would continue to carry him and watch over him. And Jacob knew, as did Esau, that each had their own way to go. When you read this story, a lot of this is just, it's the politeness of the culture. You would offer a gift, and you would never just take the gift offered. The culture, the custom would be, here's a gift. Oh, no, no, I can't receive that. So a lot of this is the culture, but it's also a genuine reconciliation, a genuine affection that's taking place. There is an offer here to help, but Jacob politely, respectfully refuses the offer. But there is an unspoken understanding between these two brothers that they each have their own way to go. Each had two very different paths to travel. Jacob's path was with God and the promise of God given to his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And though though there is now peace between these brothers, their lives will continue on two very different paths. As believers, we're called to the path God has marked out for us. Peace does not mean compromise. Jacob and Esau made peace, but Jacob did not compromise what he knew he had to do. We are called to be at peace with those around us as long as we can live peaceably without compromise. Peace is to never come at the expense of truth or at the expense of God's ways. Amen? So Jacob journeys to Succoth. That word means booths. It's where the Feast of Tabernacles, that word tabernacle, translated tabernacles, is, is booths. It's the Feast of Booths. And so Esau returns to his home in Seir, and Jacob journeys to, journeys to Succoth. And, and Jacob, when he gets there, it says he built himself a house, and he made booths for his livestock. Jacob builds a house and re- resides in Succoth for a period of time, before God commands him to go and dwell in Bethel. But 
he builds a house. He builds a house there in Succoth, but he travels to Shechem. Verse 18 and 19, let's look at this. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor for 100 pieces of money. So Jacob builds a house in Succoth, and he pitches a tent in Shechem. It doesn't say he bought land in Succoth. It says he built a house there. He took land there. But when he comes to Shechem, he comes to a place that is ruled by this people, and he buys a parcel of land, the land that he pitched his tent on. And we're going to see later on, as you continue to read in the Old Testament, you're going to see that this is where Joseph travels to to check on his father's flocks. When Jacob tells Joseph, go and check on your brothers who are tending the flocks. Jacob goes where? He goes to Shechem. Doesn't find them, goes to Dothan. And the rest of the story is they sell Joseph into slavery and thus begins a new chapter in the children of Israel's history. So Shechem is also the place ultimately where Joseph's bones are buried when the children of Israel come back from their captivity in Egypt. So Jacob comes safely, it says, to Shechem. He buys a parcel of land, and then it says this in verse 20, Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. What does that mean? Jacob worships God. He comes to this place, and it's the first place that Jacob builds an altar after he leaves the house of Laban. And he comes all the way to Shechem, buys this land, and he builds an altar. Now, this is the ultimate purpose we must come to in all things, to worship God. Notice the name of the altar, El Elohi Israel. That means God, the God of Israel. Notice it was not called God, the God of Jacob, but it was called God, the God of Israel. Why Israel? Because God. God had changed his name. He was no longer, listen, Jacob. Jacob understood God has changed me. God has transformed me. God, the God of Israel, has brought me to this place. He has brought me full circle and is bringing me home to my father's house. So Jacob erects this altar and gives witness to the transformation God wrought in his life from Jacob to Israel. God did a work of transformation to bring Jacob to this place and to carry him on from there. And we may not experience the dramatic encounters with God that Jacob did, but God is no doubt working a work of transformation in the lives of each one who trusts in him. And that work of transformation, which is a work of God's grace, gives reason to worship Him. It gives reason to witness to Him, and it gives reason to rejoice in His grace that has chosen us and marked us as His very own. Jacob worshiped God because he knew that above all, God is worthy of worship. Do you know above all that God is worthy of worship. So worship him as a witness to his grace and to his glory. So we see 
in God's dealing with Jacob that in all things there is a timing, there is a preparation, there is a place, and there is a purpose. God has a timing in all things. Remember, He makes all things beautiful in His time. So in everything, in everything, let me say that again, in everything, we can trust that God has a timing. And the problem is that our timing is often based on our perceived need and it doesn't often match God's timing. Have you guys ever noticed that? That your timing and God's timing don't always line up? Trust in God's timing. But trusting in God's timing can be a challenge to our faith. So Jacob fled his father's house, fearing for his life because of his brother's anger and wrath. He goes to his uncle's house. He ends up serving there for 20 years before God releases him from that servitude. Jacob sets out on his return journey home after 20 years, and he has no idea what he will encounter when he gets home. But unknown to Jacob, God has ordered this time. God ordered the time Jacob would spend with Laban. God ordered the time Esau would spend separated from his brother. God ordered all these things for the time Jacob would come home in fulfillment of the blessing and promise that God gave to him as the seed of Abraham. God has a timing and his timing is always perfect. So I want to encourage you, trust. Trust in God. Trust in his timing. Because he is truly making all things beautiful in his time. God has a preparation in all things. So God has a time for all things, but never without his preparation. God has a preparation that perfects us for his timing in all things. Did you hear that? God has a preparation that perfects us for his timing. There's a reason why God wrestled with Jacob when he did where he did. It was according to God's time and according to God's preparation. God never brings us into a time that he has not prepared us for. We may feel unprepared, ill-equipped, or even lost, but God knows what he is doing at all times, and he is always preparing us for his plan and purpose in all things. God was preparing Jacob through all things. Jacob fled in fear, but God was leading Jacob to a place of preparation. He served Laban for 20 years while Jacob felt used and abused, but God was preparing Jacob for much greater things that he did not yet know. And we can trust in the midst of all things that God knows all and is preparing us for all he knows and all that he has purposed. Do you believe that, church? Do you trust in that? So God has a timing in all things. God has a preparation in all things. God has a place prepared in all things. So we're never just wandering aimlessly. Even when the children of Israel wandered for 40 years, it may seem like they were wandering aimlessly. They weren't. They were wandering according to the purpose of God, and God was achieving his purpose in those 40 years. There was a purpose for those who would die in the wilderness. There was a purpose for those who would go on and inherit the promised land. So we're never just wandering aimlessly, even when it seems to be the case. God has prepared a place. He has a prepared place for us. A prepared place doesn't mean that it's a place of ease. It doesn't mean that it's... Uh, 
uh, a place free from trouble or hardship. The place God has prepared for us may be a place of rest. It may be a place of work. It may be a place of struggle. Maybe a place of all those altogether. But it is the place that he has prepared for us in the season for his purpose. So God prepared a place for Jacob in Haran with Laban that involved much hardship and struggle. But that place was a blessing because it prepared him for what was to follow. And in the midst of his struggle there, God blessed Jacob with wives and children and flocks and great possessions. That place prepared Jacob for the place God was leading him, another place of struggle, not for 20 years, but for a night. And at the end of that night, Jacob was transformed into Israel. That place prepared Jacob to meet his fear head on. He met Esau and found not wrath, but peace. Jacob had found peace with God and in so doing, God gave Jacob peace with Esau. And from that place of peace, Jacob was able to move forward into the land of promise, no longer in fear, but in faith. So God has a place prepared in all things. God has a purpose in all things. He has a time. He has a preparation. He has a place. He has a purpose in all things. And really, without saying a whole lot about this, because there doesn't need to be a lot said, because most often we don't really understand the purposes of God. Most often we find ourselves in situations in lives and we can guess and we can try to connect the dots and we can try to figure out and we can speculate, well, God must be doing this because he's allowed this. But the reality is we most often don't really know what the purpose of God is. But here's what we absolutely do know and we must always remind ourselves that we know this. The purpose in all things ultimately carries, uh, comes to this. It is our worship and God's glory. Jacob comes back into the promised land and he builds an altar to God, the God of Israel. The altar reveals that all Jacob experienced, the pain and the pleasure, was all for a purpose. Jacob embraced it and he gave all his worship to the God who he claimed as his own, the God of Israel. Jacob was a changed man and he knew it was God who wrought that change in him. Jacob came to know that it was all according to God's time, all according to God's preparation, all according to God's place and God's purpose. Jacob worshiped God in it all. Do you see that, church? In all of it, he worshiped God. Jacob came to understand, I don't have to to know. I don't have to understand all of God's purposes. I just need to trust that God has a purpose in all things. And he is my God. He is the God of Israel. He brought me from my father's house. He brought me from my uncle's house. He brought me back to my brother. He brought me across this Jordan. He brought me into this land. He is my God. He is the God of Israel. And Jacob sets this altar up as a witness to God's grace and to God's glory. And he worshiped God in it all. So here's my challenge to you, church. To trust in God's timing. 
to trust in His preparation that is continually taking place in our lives, in every situation, in every circumstance in your life, both good and bad, both hard and easy. Trust that He has prepared the place you find yourself in right now and that He has prepared places you do not yet know of. Trust that in all things He has a purpose and that we know this for certain. His purpose is ultimately that we joyfully worship, that we joyfully give witness, and that we joyfully glorify Him. Amen? Will you stand, please? And let us pray that God would give us the grace to this end, that we would trust Him in His time, in His preparation, whatever place we find ourselves, and that we trust In all things, he has a purpose. Father, you know, you see, and you ordain all things. Give us the grace to trust your timing, your preparation, your place, and your purpose for us in all things. Father, we pray that this be our joy. And most of all, that this be your glory. Father, in your church, in your people, in us, in Christ's fellowship, in each heart here, be glorified and give to each of us the grace to trust you in and through all things. And that we would not just find ourselves enduring, but we would find ourselves rejoicing And again, always rejoicing for the grace that carries us in your time, in your preparation to each place for each purpose for your glory. Father, we pray this in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.